Minority Retort on X-Ray FM. X-Ray FM. Minority Retort with Jason Lamb. Hey, everybody. It's time for another edition of Minority Retort. My name is Jason Lamb. I'm the co-host and co-producer of Minority Retort, the comedy show, which features all people of color comedians, which you can see at the Siren Theater. Sometime you'll be able to see that, hopefully soon, at the Siren Theater. That's an all people of color comedy show hosted by myself, Julian Ramos, and a now rotating cast of POC comedic characters. But here on this show, we don't just talk to comedians and talk about comedy. We also talk to other talented, thoughtful, and creative people who are doing big things in the community and the world at large. And it's a pleasure to have on the show today my guest, who is a writer and editor who has written extensively about comic books and geek culture uh, for outlets such as CNN, as well as being the co-founder and co-writer of the Girls God Geek blog. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show, Erica Peterman. Erica, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Great. Uh, Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Happy to do it. So, Erica, you know, I asked you to be on the show today um, because we, you know, we don't know each other very, very well. Um, We met a while back um, as we were working on a project together. uh, And I thought of you uh, as someone I wanted to have on the show because I'm trying to use the show to have conversations with as many different black people as possible uh, to get as many different perspectives on what's going on in the nation right now. Um, and I wanted to talk to people that I've, that I've known for, for many, many years and also some people that I don't know very well. So, um, so you fell in that latter category. Um, so I appreciate you being willing to come on uh, today. But I've been using the show for the past couple of weeks and in the foreseeable future, I plan to use the show to ask black people a series of questions that I'm trying to work out for myself. Mm -hmm. um, And I think that people out there need to have a better understanding of. And the questions are these, do you feel hopeful that what's going on in the nation right now will lead to meaningful change? And if so, why? And if not, why not? That's an excellent question. Um, Honestly, it depends on the day. Um, It depends on uh, whether I've eaten, um, (laughs) how much news I've watched. Um, I would say that I I do have some hope, but it's not huge. Um, And I say that only because I think, I I guess my concern is that sometimes our attention span with things that are really difficult um, is not great. And I think it's wonderful, like the, the overwhelming, well, okay, I should say the overwhelmingly appropriate response, um, finally, um, to stuff we've been talking about for a really long time now is good. That's positive. Um, and I think if there's, if there's any upside to the pandemic, it's that I guess people have time and maybe their attention is, um, you know, a little more present than it might be otherwise, because we can't really go anywhere. Um, 
unless you live where I do. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and so I just don't know. I think that I am wary. And what I have noticed is that a lot more people are willing to engage in conversations about race with less fragility or with some acknowledgement of their fragility. Or it could just be that I don't care anymore. <laughs> I'm just sort of like saying like whatever I think, like, well, you asked, so this is it. Um, so I think what, if there's anything I'm worried about, it's that I hope that people who aren't already there yet will be able to get past their own, hurt, I guess what I call like their own hurt feelings, which don't really matter, um, to get to the really hard stuff that is going to take a, a, a long time to get to. I mean, there's not going to be sweeping change um, in all areas overnight. We'll, we'll just see. I, I just hope that people aren't lazy about it, honestly. I was talking to another um, uh, young Black woman that I work with, and we we had a version of this conversation. I just said, you know, sometimes I just think people are really lazy about stuff that makes them uncomfortable. It's like, if you don't have to think about it, why, why would you start now? Um, but generationally, maybe that's different. You know, I'm a Gen Xer, so maybe my kids' friends are willing to have that conversation in a different way. Um, so that's a really long way of saying, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know either. Um, <laughs> and that's why I, I kind of wanted to have these, these conversations is, is to, you know, and, and to, to put out there that we don't know, you know, yeah. um, depending on who you are, you don't know. Um, uh, I just to, to, to put it in my own, through my own lens for a moment. Um, you know, I, I've talked about it on the show before, but I, I definitely run the gamut b between, um, hopeful and, and, and cynical. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's lots of reasons for, for both, um, of those extreme, um, positions on the, on the spectrum of, uh, of what this experience is. Um, and I think one of the things I wanted to, to talk to you about specifically um, was that, you know, I mentioned that you, you're a journalist and, um, you know, as a journalist, you're a truth teller. And it seems to me that a lot of the, the problem that we have in this country is that we don't want to be told the truth. You know, there's laziness, but then there's also, we just don't want to face the truth of, of what we are. And I say we as, as Americans, um, as a whole. Um, does that, do you think that what's going on now makes the truth more accessible, more palatable, um, more willing to be uh, swallowed as hmm. it needs? Well, I have seen some examples of this. Um, I, I think the issue that I'm running into is that the people who are seeking, who are like really actively seeking out um, those difficult truths are people who were doing that anyway. Um, people who were already, and, and by people, I mean, um, I'm talking white people, um, who were, you know, kind of already um, curious about history and the world and other people's experiences. Um, so 
you know, and I, I, I hesitate to engage in like a false binary, like people who are there versus not there. But I do think that my experience has tended to be that there are people who want to have a certain kind of conversation, which is um, kind of, well, no, it's like really shallow. Like I, I don't see color. Like I, I do. Um, and who really like you, there's something that you said about like, um, you know, really wanting to get at the truth of what we are and you can't get to the truth of what America is without going really, going really hard, like into the legacy of slavery. Um, and I mean, frankly, probably even going back to the treatment of indigenous people, um, because that is what America is too. It's like, there's this idea of what we are. And then there's the, oh, let's look under that rock. And I think there's always been a reluctance to look at that. Like, can't we just leave that in the past? Like we want to leave those things in the past and like, like let's, let's move on. So, and again, I know I'm not giving concrete answers. It's another, I don't know. Um, I do I have been surprised by a few people who have said things like, wow, I didn't realize how much my privilege kept me insulated. And now I am looking for that information and trying to be helpful and have those conversations. And that's great. But then there's also the part of me that wants to say, there have been a bazillion books, documentaries, things about this for years. I think I get a certain point. It's almost like, why didn't you know that? So I don't know. I feel like in the span of one conversation, I can go from being like, oh, that's really nice to just being like, well, what the heck have you been doing for you know, the last 10, 20 years? So that was a messy answer as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not from my end. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the other things I'm trying to do with, uh, with the show is, is also talk to as many different black people in, in different regions of the country as possible. Uh, and uh, you are, we're talking to you now in, um, you're in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and did you, are you from Florida originally or? No, no, I'm not. Um, I grew up in a town called Valdosta, Georgia, which is, uh, it's actually not far from Tallahassee. Tallahassee is North Florida, Northwest. So, um, and my hometown is like, I don't know, maybe 90 minutes from here. Okay. So uh, I am, definitely a product of the deep south but um so i came to college here i went to florida and in the university um back in the late 80s early 90s and then lived in like the tampa bay area baltimore dc area and then uh i've lived here for almost 20 years now okay. so well i'm wondering about <laughs> florida in particular and um you know you mentioned it, <laughs> you kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, you know, some things go down from time to time in Florida. From time um, to time. You know, you, you look at life, in, the American life, in, uh, in a slightly different way in Florida. Um, <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been widely reported. Um, but I'm wondering if you, if you noticed, just being a product of that area, if you noticed anything discernible um, in terms of, of change or, or, or conversations that you had, you kind of mentioned a moment ago, but I mean, what's, what's going on locally in terms of like the movement outwardly, you know, protests in the streets of Florida, um, has it been sustained um, or just, you know, 
regular interactions that you have um, with white folks in Florida? Um, well, okay, so the interesting thing about Tallahassee is, um, of course, we're the state capital, but we're also a college town. And so, like, our demographics are a little bit, they're a little different from the rest of, of Florida. It's like, and so we're much more Southern in a way. Um, it almost feels like an extension of Georgia, but there are a lot of people here who are, you know, in the academic community, um, who are involved in politics. Um, it's a very, <laughs> there are some people who have referred to it as, I don't know, Berkeley East, which tells me they've never been to Berkeley, California. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, but there is a, there's a, pretty significant progressive component here. So there have been quite a few, um, you know, peaceful um, gatherings, protests, um, and good community conversations around it. And that, and that was actually taking place a little bit already, like after the last presidential election. So, um, Yes, but also I haven't really been engaging with people <laughs> as usual. Um, so a lot of my interactions are, you know, um, over Zoom calls with my coworkers or just walking around the neighborhood. So I don't know. I'm not having a lot of heart to hearts with strangers mm -hmm. um, for lack of a better word. So it's hard. It's hard to tell. It's like there's what I can see like in the paper and um, in the news, but my daily experience hasn't changed that much. Um, I did have, there have been some people who reached out um, to me, um, not asking me for anything, just saying I was thinking of you. Um, it's just so hard to tell, there's just so much, it's just so nuts right now in the world period, or just in general, that it's just, it's just really hard to know um, what that's going to be like once we can have normal visitation conversation with people again. So I think some people are trying. Well, actually, that's, um, that leads me kind of to a follow-up uh, to that question. And you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but do you think that the pandemic has had more of a I hate to phrase it this way, but more of a positive effect on <laughs> on making people, you know, want to um, uh, to take to the to the streets and 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 you know, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, people being more, you know, bound up and 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 cloistered in their own environment, that you know, and something something may have, you know force all that to a head and, and want people to, you know, to, to break out. You know, if it wasn't George Floyd, it might've been something else. Right. Um, on one hand. But on the other hand, since we're, since we are in the middle of a pandemic and we, you know, there is um, restrictions on, on movement and, and, and social distancing and everything like that. Could there be an argument that it could be made that there would be more, even more happening now mm -hmm. if we weren't in the middle of a, of a pandemic? What, what do you think about that? Well, I do think that um, the convergence of the pandemic and, you know, just the very graphic, glaring, obvious, uh, awful things that have happened um, around race, I think the fact that they all happened at the same time is like, um, 
this is what a friend referred to it as like, you know, the country like flipping over the table in a way, like there are just so many things that are so obviously wrong, um, just so fundamentally flawed. And we're just seeing huge examples of that all at the same time. So, so yes, um, I do think that the, I do think that the pandemic has grabbed people's attention and really kind of focused it more on just the gross injustices that we have yet to address in a serious way. Um, so I will be, I mean, I'm, I'm really curious to see if it has legs, you know, that like whenever the return to normal, whatever that means or looks like comes, will people just want to, you know, move on and, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's just so, this is just such a weird and unpredictable time. Um, so I feel like every answer that I'm giving you is like, I'm not sure. I'm like, I'm supposed to be an expert or something about something. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, in some ways, I mean, this, this whole, having the, the context of this interview is unfair. <laughs> I'll go ahead and acknowledge that. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, the reality is, as we've said, none of us really know. And we're all, you know, kind of experiencing this on our, on our own individual terms, um, in a way. Uh, so, so... You're doing great. <laughs> well, thank you. That. Well, I will. What, one thing I will say is I also think that the people who, um, the, you know, have, have been leaning into their racism for a long time, I think they're just going to, I think they're just going to go with that. I think they're just going to stick with that thing. That's their brand. So I don't, I honestly don't spend a lot of time thinking about that because it's like, there's no point in me wishing, hoping for that to be fixed. Like if you think that, you know, facts are negotiable or if you don't believe any reported news or, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's, there's literally nothing to talk about there. So, um, but I do think that people who maybe just weren't paying attention might actually be moved to pay further attention. Might. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so last question for you. Um, you are a uh, co-parent to two uh, Gen Z young adults. Um, <laughs> that, uh, how old are they? Okay, so my daughter is 16. Well, actually she'll be 16 um, shortly, like a week basically. Okay. And my son um, is freshly 20. 20. Okay. Yes. And so, you know, we've said a lot of, I don't know's here, <laughs> this interview, uh, which is perfectly fine. Um, but I'm wondering what your conversations have been like with them um, mm -hmm. and what their a understanding of everything is that's going on um, and B what they feel about it and see what, are they prepared to do about it? Because in my estimation, it, it's going to take that generation uh, yeah. to, to really pick up the mantle and, and your kids and, and my kids uh, who are 
uh, teenagers to really be able to drive this uh, to where it needs to go. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm wondering what, uh, what your conversation with them have been like. Mm. Well, some of them have been tough. Um, you know, at first it was sort of difficult for me to tell like how it was affecting them. Um, not that they were numb to it, but sort of like, well, okay, again, of course. Um, and, you know, I'm also really aware of just like trying not to project whatever my own racial baggage might be onto them. Um, you know, we they've always lived in a very diverse multiracial context just because that's kind of the way that I live have lived my life too for most of my adult life. So they have they've chosen their friends really well. So in some ways <laughs> they're at the same disadvantage that I found myself in in that the 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 white people that they hang out with aren't, you know, you know, they aren't, they aren't the ones uh, looking for black people to kill <laughs> or call cops on. Um, and who don't invalidate their feelings around race. So, but again, that's over a period of time. I think when they were a little younger, that wasn't necessarily the case, but um, you know, their friends who are white tend, tend to be quite empathetic and um, thoughtful. So, um, and I thought about what you said about, you know, what, you know, what will they do to push things forward? Um, so I do think that there are a lot of social justice issues that aren't necessarily about race that I absolutely do want them to um, use whatever privilege they have to improve and work on. But I honestly feel like, why is it their job to fix or, what is the word I'm looking for? Not, I feel like there's always this too much of a burden on black people to do the fixing. It's like, we're always the ones who are like, you know, let's all come together and address and teach. No, that's, that's not their job. Um, And I cannot say this strongly enough. Like if you are um, a white person who wants to help, just go do the work, you know, like don't, uh, don't create more work for the black people in your, in, in your lives. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we literally can't solve white supremacy. We can't. Um, and I don't say that to be glib or dismissive, but I'm just at a point where I'm like, you know what, your job is to go out in the world and be a good, kind person, um, to help people who have less than you do to be empathetic and to address whatever injustices you are empowered to address. But I don't think this is theirs to fix. Um, their white counterparts will have to do that. I, I don't know what else to tell. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, very well put. Uh, <laughs> I, in fact, removed myself uh, from the conversation of uh, that has been brought to me over the the past couple of months of what white people asking what they what they can do. You know, um, you talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Yeah, work it, work it out. Um, I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine who is white, um, and she 
made the observation of, you know, that when white people come to black people with their angst and sadness about things that they're actually just that, that they're just creating more emotional labor. Um, and, and of course, like if, if you're, if you have family members who are white, if your spouse is white, like, you know, I, I get that. Like that's, that's a more intimate one-on-one conversation. What I mean is like that sort of generalized, I feel so terrible and let me recap all of the horrible things that happened this week. Like, no, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Um, we know we got it. Um, don't assume we want to talk to you about it. Um, you can ask, but maybe just, talk to us as a person in the world. I think that's the thing. Like don't, don't ask black people to be your emotional mules. That's pretty much how I feel about it. Learn, observe, read, listen more than you talk. Like listen, like actually listen, even if it's difficult, even if it brings up something hard for you, that's okay. Um, yeah, I, that's really all I've got. <laughs> Emotional mules. Damn. I couldn't, some friend of mine used that phrase. I just thought it was so apt. Like, that's exactly what it is. It's like, you want me to make you feel better about racism. That's not my ministry, y'all. Like, it's just, um, I, I even got it. I don't have it. Like, I'm not, I'm retired from that ministry. Um, forever. So, and it doesn't mean we can't be friends. It doesn't mean we can't hang out. It doesn't mean that I don't think you're cool, but you have to do that work. I'm, I, I'm all, I'm full up. Thanks. <laughs> well, and unfortunately we're all full up on time for the, our talk today. I, I wish we could keep it going, but uh, we'll just have to have you back on the show again sometime. I appreciate you being on the show today though. Erica Peterman, uh, if uh, people want to get a hold of you and find out more about you and your work, uh, where can they do that? You're not on social media much. So is there a website or anything? Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm, I really do not have an awesome online footprint um, right now on the socials. Um, I, don't have a, I don't have an active blog or anything. Um, if you see me on Target, say hi. Maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's pretty much the only place I'm going um, right now. Uh, you might, you know, if you see me comment on like a BTS post on Instagram, um, that'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so uncool. <laughs> Got nothing. All right. Well, that's good enough for me. I want to thank my guest today, Erica Peterman, writer, editor, BTS fan, Target. Auto. <laughs> today. Erica, thanks a lot. Thank you, Jason. This was fun. Thank you. We'll be back to wrap up the show in just a moment. <laughs> 